Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your love. Thank you, Lord, that you died for us. And thank you, Lord, that you chose us as we spoke last week. That you call us special. We're chosen. And Lord, this week we'd like to speak on the subject, chosen to follow. Chosen to follow. And I pray, God, that you would guard my words. I pray, God, that they would come from your heart into my being, through my lips, through your anointing, to touch your people and inspire us with a desire to follow God above everything else. So, Lord, here we go. Take our hands, our ears, and help us to receive the seed, the word, into our lives that we may be able to follow you the rest of the days of our life. In Christ's name, amen. Last week we spoke about you are special. We spoke about that we're chosen. And this week I want to speak about what are we chosen for? We're chosen to follow. The Bible says in John 6:44, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up the last day. I love words. I love the meaning of words. And when I studied this sermon for hours, the word come. It means to come from one place to another. It means to come into being. Arise and come forth. Finding a place of influence. To be established and become known. Right there, there's the sermon of what God's saying. He says, I want to draw you from what you used to be, where you used to be. I want to draw you to another place with me. I want your life to come into being alive. I want you to arise and come forth and find a place and find your influence in life that I may be establishing you, that you may be made known. To who? To those around you and to the spirit world that they'll say, uh-oh, there's one of them. We need to be careful. They're praying or they're worshiping. No man can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father which hath sent me, draw him. And that word draw sometimes means in Greek to drag us. And sometimes God had to allow our lives to become so uncomfortable that he had to drag us away to bring us into being with him. Drawing means to choose, to prefer that individual. And how does God draw us? By his word, by his Holy Spirit, 
by conviction and by desire. God always trying to bring us from point A to point B. To do what? So that he can raise him up at the last day. To raise us up. Causing us to be born again. Causing us to appear to the world in a different way. Causing us to go forward. It means kings, prophets, priests, and leaders of insurgents. Have you ever considered yourself an insurgent? You know what that means? Going against the grain. Going against the status quo. Going against what everybody else is doing or believing. And standing for what's right. Standing for truth. Jesus was an insurgent. He was a revolutionary. He did things so differently than anyone else that came upon the scene. And he causes us to come into being to be such a people. That we can enter into conversation, listen to this, or dispute with the powers of darkness. And undertake the business of God against evil. You see, you can't dispute with the enemy unless you're drawn by God. You can't dispute with the enemy. You have nothing in terms of your carnal life that you can say to the enemy that will move him or do anything to him. But when we speak the words that God gives us as he draws us, as we begin to realize that we have deity on the inside, And that the words that he has spoken through us through the word of God, that we can speak praise God verbally and vocally. And we can say in the name of Jesus, demons tremble at the name of Jesus. You have power. We have power. We have influence to rise up against the enemy. And what he's trying to accomplish because he has an agenda. He has an outline for each of our lives. He has an outline for this church. He has an outline for your family. He has an outline for your children. And that outline is to kill, steal, and destroy. I read the other day where two teenage boys, both overdosed, On the same day, two handsome young men, 16 or 17 years old, brothers, found dead. That's sad for a parent. That's sad for a parent. To go into a child's bedroom, to awaken that child for school, And there's no response. It's sad. And it's happening every day. In our country. The Bible says in John 6 and 63. It's the spirit. The Holy Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words Jesus said that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. That word quickeneth means to make alive. To cause someone to come alive. It's spiritual power to arouse and to invigorate us as Christians. It means to 
restore us to life and to endue us with the great power of the Holy Spirit. That we can spring up like a seed from the ground and germinate. That we can become strong for our God. Because the word of God says, the flesh profiteth nothing. And the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And that word life means vitality. It means animation. It means to enjoy real and genuine life. A life that's active and vigorously devoted to God and blessed by God. Not lifeless, but in full vigor. To be strong and efficient, active and powerful. And I like this definition that it gives in the Greek. Useful and valuable. God draws us that we can become useful and valuable to his kingdom. So we can make a mark against the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says in the recovery version of John 6 and 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Sometimes we try to help people with motivational speaking. We try to help people with speeches and this and that. It doesn't any good to the person. But when you speak from the depths of the anointing of God, when you speak as the oracles of God into that life of that person, for that moment and split second of time, God begins to divide soul and spirit asunder. God begins to take that spiritual knife in the word of God and enter John 15 and 5 says it. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, he that remains in me, he that tarries with me, he that doesn't depart from me, he that continues to be with me in the present, he that endures with me, he that remains with a healthy relationship with me, I will cause to do what? He says this, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's those words that quickeneth our spirit. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Choosing God to follow God. He's chosen us to follow. Most people in the Christian world stop at salvation. And I'm not doubting their salvation. I'm not doubting their sins are forgiven. But until we make him Lord are we really following God are we really preferring him it's not just an acceptance prayer it's not I I, I prayed I followed the four spiritual laws it's not about coming to the altar and saying some words I accept Jesus into my heart anyone can do that I've known people who have come to the altar and done that to get their family off their back. To make them believe they became Christians. And they weren't. It was a facade. It was a fake. 
Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come, and we gave you that definition, to come means to cleave steadfastly toward God and with him. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What does it mean to deny? It means to affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone else that's greater than God. That we prefer God above all. It means to forget yourself and lose sight of your own self and your own self-interest and put God's interests first. How many times do people exclude God off their list automatically? Can't do that today, Pastor. Can't observe the Sabbath. Are they following? Do they have a desire for God at that moment? Or does the carnal take over and says, please the flesh? Go out there and go do your thing. It's a special day. You deserve it. It's God's special day every time we come together for the Sabbath. I'm not saying people shouldn't go on vacation or anything like that. But I'm saying priority. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, how much do I desire you? How much am I hungry for you? Am I famished? Am I craving you? Lord, Am I crying as a beggar that's starving for food? Am I crying as a beggar spiritually because, God, I want more of you? We sing these songs. We hear sermons. But God says, do we do them? Do we actually apply them? He says, he that hungers and thirsts. You know when you're thirsty, you're dehydrated. When you're thirsty, automatically it's saying to your body, you haven't had enough water. You haven't had enough to drink. You're already dehydrated. Thirst means to desire, to long, to crave, a yearning, an ache. You know when you're hungry. You know when a baby gets hungry. You know the cry of a baby that's hungry rather than the cry of a baby whose diaper is dirty. You know the cry of a baby when that child wants something to drink or eat. It's a particular cry that that child is telling you, Mommy, I'm hungry. I need something to drink. Can you help me? God is saying, follow me. Choose to follow me with hunger. Choose to follow me with thirst. I saw on the internet yesterday that Franklin Graham said to the church, persecution is coming. The church does not want to hear that. The church doesn't want to hear that we might be put between a rock and a hard place. It's already happening. It's happening in foreign countries and it's happening in our countries. One day this Bible will become hate speech. One day the words that God gives us to preach will be interpreted as hate speech. It's taking place in different places already. We must follow. We must choose him first. 
We must teach our children the biblical foundation of Christianity so that they can stay strong as they come to the age of accountability. There must be a continual hearing and obedience to God. I didn't know what was happening basically here in the church, preparing this sermon about giving a rock to dad. Matthew 7.24 says, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I looked at that verse and I said, okay, therefore whosoever hearkeneth Heareth these sayings of mine. What does it mean to hear these sayings? It means to hearken and give audience to what God is about to say. It means to attend to, listen, and consider what is or what has been said and to understand and comprehend what is going to be said. I want you to follow that because it's very important to understand the word of God this morning. To hear means to hearken to the voice of God and give audience and pay attention to what God is going to say to us. It means to attend to and consider what is or has been said and to understand and to comprehend what is going to be said. If you look at the progression in this verse, what happened to the house that was built on the rock happened exactly to the house that was built on the sand. Let's go on a little excursion here for a moment. The word rain in the translation means a heavy shower or violent rainstorm. I want you to think of these words now. Rain, violent rainstorm. Floods means a torrent a gush, a rush of water, inundation, a surge, and a deluge. We've all seen pictures of floods. Winds. This word winds means a violent agitation and stream of air. A very strong, tempestuous wind. It means the four principal or cardinal winds that come from the four corners of the earth. That's a big wind. And what did the rain and the floods and the wind do? It blew. It blew upon what? It not only blew upon the house, but it beat upon it, which means to rush upon and beat against it. But the house that was built on the rock fell not. It was not thrust down. It did not fall under judgment. It did not fall under condemnation. And it means this, of those not overcome by terror or astonishment or grief. It means those that are not overcome by the attack of an evil spirit. It means that are those that are not cast down from a state of prosperity or uprightness. 
It means those that will not lose their virtue and will not lose their authority or no longer have force with God. When you choose to follow God, you're going to have rain. You're going to have floods. You're going to have winds. You're going to have storms. And they're going to beat upon your house. It's going to happen. Some of you are going through some trying times. Peter gave us light when he says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that's about to come upon you. Some will go through great temptation. But the house that's built, built upon what? Christian wisdom, Christian grace, Christian virtue, Christian holiness, and the blessings of God built upon what? A rock, which means the firmness and strength of your soul in Christ. You're the rock. Standing upon the rock. And when we're strong on the inside because we're following Christ and we're choosing to do that, His daily presence will go with us. There must be a continual hearing and a continual obedience to God. And that's where people are dropping out. That's where the church will go into apostasy because they'll grow weary and tired. They'll get tired of the rain. Just like you're tired of physical rain, We've all said that. I'm sick and tired of rain. Haven't you said that? Well, people are going to say that spiritually. I'm sick and tired of trials. I'm sick and tired of temptation. I'm sick and tired of saying no. I'm sick and tired of not having fun. I'm sick and tired of not being out there. I'm sick and tired. I need pleasure. Will we choose to follow in those moments? That's the question. And there's going to be millions that will choose not to. I'm not talking about a few hundred people here and there. The apostate church. There's going to be millions of people that used to be in the house of God. I know that's hard to believe and hard to conceive in your mind as a concept. But you've seen it in your own families. You've seen it in churches. You've seen people that once were on fire for God and loved God walk away from the gospel. And you said to yourself, how could this be? How could that actually happen? I knew that person. They used to lay hands on people and people were healed. They used to prophesy. We all are familiar with those. There must be a continuum sanctification if we choose to follow God. John 17, 17, the great prayer of Christ. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does it mean to sanctify them? God, keep them separate. Make them holy. Set them apart. Set them apart so that when they come under stress, when the rain comes and the floods come and the winds come and beat upon their house, Lord, don't let them go back to the elements. Father, don't drive them back to the elements. Don't let them drive themselves through temptation back to the elements of life. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to discourage you so much that you decide you need to take a break from God, at least momentarily, sometimes forever. Because the only relief that I could get is through a drug or a drink or whatever. And that really calms me down. 
We're choosing the elements over following him. How does the heart of God feel? When we're married to him and we commit spiritual adultery by taking on another suitor. How does he feel when we're married to him? When we say we're the bride and he's the husband. We have been betrothed to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb will be a supper in heaven one day. What is it called? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Where we'll sit at the table as his glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. Without condemnation or judgment. We'll be reserved for those that choose to follow God. There must be a continual coming to Jesus. He came to the disciples in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, and he says, Come unto me. And we gave you the definition of that word, come. Come on, I want to bring you from there to here. I want to drag you sometimes. Just like sometimes you don't feel like getting up to go to work. You just don't feel like doing the chores today. You, don't, you just don't feel like it. But you drag yourself out of bed. You drag yourself out of depression. You drag yourself out of that funky spirit. And say, I have to. Someone's depending on me. And sometimes when spiritually we're in the mully grubs, God comes and says, come on, I want to drag you. I got you. Come on. Take my hand. He says, come unto me, all you that labor. What does it mean? All you that grow weary, tired, and exhausted. Who's not weary this morning? Who's not tired this morning? Who's not exhausted this morning? Those that are toiling with burdens and grief. Who's not toiling with burdens and grief? It means a beating of the breast with grief and sorrow. Who's not doing that today in the house of God? We're all experiencing some sort of grief. We're toiling, we're tired. We don't get enough sleep. We drag ourselves. We push ourselves. The adrenaline, the cortisol is at all-time highs in our body. We drink coffee and caffeine and tea to keep us going. And God says, you're laboring. And not only are you laboring, but you're heavy laden. Which means you're overburdened, overwhelmed, and have a heavy load on your back. I know it wasn't too long ago that when you asked people how they were doing, the buzzword a few months ago was overwhelmed. Who's not overwhelmed here? Who's not overwhelmed with the stress of life? Even Jesus said the anxiety of today is sufficient for itself. Don't even try to borrow from the bank of tomorrow. Who's not overwhelmed with parenting? Who's not overwhelmed in marital affairs? Who's not overwhelmed as a young person trying to grow up in a world that's out of control? Who's not overwhelmed? Jesus sees it. And he invites us to come. He sees our labor. He sees our heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. And I looked at that word rest and it means to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. 
It means to give someone rest, to refresh them, to keep them quiet. It means calm and patient expectation. Sometimes I think God puts us on our back for a reason. We become so run down physically and emotionally. Our immune system becomes just weak. And our body begins to accept germs, bacterias that we can't even see. And before you know it, we're struggling. We're tired physically because we're sick. But is that a way for God to give us a message? You see, you've really been working hard, haven't you? You need my spirit. You're toiling. Sometimes carnally, trying to figure it out. Trying to push, trying to make a living, trying to pay bills. Try to juggle between Peter and Paul to do this and do that. Children's meetings, and clubs, and sports, and on the job by close of business Friday, make sure it's done. How many memos have I gotten like that through the years at work? COB, close of business Friday. Reports to do. Thank you. Appreciate the memo. Especially when you're up to here with paperwork and duties and more duties and more paperwork. Cut down a few more trees. Fill out a few more pieces of paper. And sometimes God puts you on the shelf for a little bit to speak to us. To say, reevaluate. He says, take my yoke. Listen to the words. Seize it. Choose my yoke. Assume it and accept it. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He said, I want to help you increase knowledge. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to be informed. And I want you to learn by use and by practice. Because I am meek and lowly in heart. I am gentle and I am humble. And I'm coming to you to restore you. Restore hope. Restore that you're special. Restore that I chose you in your mother's womb. Doesn't matter what anyone says. Doesn't matter what the coach says. Doesn't matter what the parent says. Doesn't matter what the teacher says. It doesn't matter what anyone says. It matters what God says. That's all that counts. If no one else loves you, God loves you. And that's important. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You shall do what? You shall find, you shall discover, you shall learn and understand my rest. And I looked up this word rest, and it's different than the word rest in the previous verse. This word rest means intermission. It means it's time to get some popcorn. It's time to go to the candy counter, so to speak. In the movie, it's intermission times. It's time to get one of them big boxes of Mike and Mike. You know what I'm talking about. The big box. 
Come on, if you're going to do it, you might as well just get the big box. The chocolate raisins, you just might as well get the big box. You don't want to mess with the small box. It's going to cost you three bucks, but guess what? <laughs> you're going to be in candy heaven, praise God. When the film starts again, you go back into the movie theater, and you're sitting there in that nice plush seat that they put there in that movie plex, and you're sitting there with your chocolate-covered raisins, and you're saying, mm, thank you. It's intermission. And sometimes you need an intermission. And I know they tell us sugar's no good for you. And it's probably not. But every once in a while, a huge apple fritter from Cameron's Bakery does the job. One of them half moon cookies, you know, chocolate and vanilla. You know, sometimes it just does the job. Sometimes one of them cannolis, it just does the job. It's intermission time. No time to use the word diet. It's intermission. God is saying, I want to give you rest. By implication, it means recreation. I'm not making up words. I'm just giving you translation. It means to repose, not dead. Go get your nails done, girls. Go get your hair done. Costly sometimes. But you know what? As a former depth that I used to work for in the prison system said, Fred, be good to yourself. And you know, sometimes you just got to be good to yourself because that's what God wants to do for you. He wants you to be good to yourself. Because he's a good parent. He's not stingy. He doesn't have one package of hot dogs in heaven that he's trying to figure out who's going to get the next hot dog. Come on, listen to what I'm saying here through the word of God. The word rest means to take cease or pause. It means to stop. It means to restrain, to desist, to come to an end. It means calm and patient expectation. Intermission. And sometimes you have to have an intermission. Because we're working too hard. And we're working too hard because we're doing it carnally and we're doing it in the flesh. Thinking that we're going to accomplish something and all that we're accomplishing is going around in circles and on the treadmill. Around and around and around. And that's not what God wants. He says, take my yoke. Why? He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does it mean, yoke? It means to couple with God. The word means a beam of balance. When you take your yoke, you're pulling. You're pulling. And that thing that's around the oxen's neck pricks them when they look too far that way or that way. Stay on path. God says, when you do it your way, you're getting pricked in your neck because you're pulling. It's like when you're with a little child and you're walking in the mall with a child and the child is pulling your arm out of its shoulder socket. He's giving you pain. And you say, listen, don't pull on my arm. Especially when you get older. That socket isn't as stable as it used to be. (laughs) Come on now. And you tell them, slow up. We'll get there. I know you're hungry. We'll get you some pizza. But don't pull on my arm. Don't pull on my shirt. God is saying this. When you pull on your own arm and you use your own yoke, you're spinning your wheels and it's not going to happen for you. It's not. He says, take my yoke, which means my beam of balance, my relationship with you, Jesus. Because my yoke is what? Easy. 
What does it mean? It means to push or row less. You know when you're in a boat and you have a couple of people rowing? The boat's going to get to the other side faster than if you tell the person behind you not to row. And you're going to be so tired of rowing that you're probably going to be so tired that you won't get to the other side in the time you wanted to. Many hands make light work, is what it's saying. Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy, which means it's manageable, it's mild, it's more pleasant, as opposed to harsh, sharp, and bitter. God's yoke is manageable. When we try to force, when we try to force, God says, you're toiling. You're going to get weary. You're heavy laden. You're overwhelmed. And a lot of people try so hard to push. To get it done. People push in relationships. And they try so hard. And in the end, it's not manageable. It's not peaceful. And there is no intermission. God says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden means the cargo of a ship. But it means this. It means agile, easier to handle. It's easier to handle the winds and the rains and the floods that come against us when we're wearing God's yoke, which means we're coupled with him and we're holding his hand and we're walking with him as opposed to walking by ourselves. Do you understand the concept? Amen. It's so simple, but it's deep. The winds are going to come. The rain and the floods are going to come. But they're more manageable when we have God's yoke around us. And that yoke is us coupling with him, that we're walking with him and we're in his presence. Because we prefer him above everyone and everything else. He's obligated to you. He says that we must prefer him as our priority. Matthew 10, 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. What's it mean? God's saying, if you prefer others above me, you are not deserving of me. You're not suitable. You're not befitting for me. Sounds harsh. But God is a jealous God. He's not going to stand in line and wait for you. While you go through this suitor and this thing and that thing and your dream and your vision and your whatever, your lists. You think God is... Looking for crumbs? Do we actually think that God is looking for leftovers? No, he's not. He wants to be number one in your life. He wants you to make him number one. And when we get waylaid on that road, he's a jealous God. And he's so jealous that sometimes he has to intervene. And say, hey, look at me, I'm here. Hello. Don't ignore me. I am God. And the Bible says he's a jealous God. 
But yet people would prefer other things, other people, and write God off their list in a moment of a twinkling of an eye. The Bible says don't be concerned about yourself. He said in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of his cross. What does it mean? He made no reputation. He emptied himself. And sometimes God calls upon us to stand for truth. But we're so concerned about our reputation. We're so concerned what other people are going to say. That they're going to point us out that you stood for what was right. You went against the grain. You became an insurgent. You became a revolutionary at that moment. You voiced your godly opinion. And you knew when those words came out, you were going to get the hammering of other people who were going to put you through the crucible. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have taken that stand. You should have thought about what you did. No, now I'm guarding my reputation. Now I'm trying to preserve myself and not deny myself before God. I like when Jesus was asked all those questions at his trial. And Jesus basically responded and said, you said that's what you say. That's what you say. That's your opinion. Who are you? I have power to call 12 legions of angels down from heaven. I have power to obliterate, obliterate Rome. I have power by the finger of God to take you out. I have that kind of power. But I'm meek and lowly in heart because... There's millions of people that are going to be depending upon me for salvation. That want to sit at my table in eternity forever. And I must go to that cross and drink that cup. We have to shun temptation, especially when life gets tough. If we're choosing to follow Jesus, temptation is going to come to you. When we get stressed out, when we become anxious, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 9, After this manner, therefore pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Don't bring us back to the elements, God help us. Help me, God, when I'm stressed. Help me when I lose it. Help me when I lose balance. Help me, God, when I take my yoke again instead of your yoke. Lord, don't let me be attracted to the elements of the world. Don't let me be attracted to the promise of pleasure in the world. Oh, God, don't let me be deceived and seduced. Old-fashioned preaching. Old-fashioned preaching. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, don't let me be allured by the bait of this world. 
It's right there. It's at our fingertips. It's the touch of a button. It's the click on a remote. It's the street corner just down the block. It's that man that has something in his pocket for you. It's in the bottle. It's down at the bar. And all that does is allure you into the spider web of the enemy. It says, come on. You've had a tough week. Come on. What are you waiting for? Trust me, he says. I'm your friend. <laughs> Was he a friend to those two young people that died of drug overdose yesterday? Was he a friend to the 200 that will die today before we lay our heads down on the pillow? They say now that the fentanyl that's being introduced to some of the drugs that the Narcan is no longer working to revive people because it's a different strain. Think about it. Think about it. What's happening to our society? We've become like the old Greek Roman Empire that imploded from within. Look it up. It didn't take the enemies to come from the outside to destroy Rome and the Greek Empire. Became a society of pleasure. And what does Paul tell Timothy? That in the last days, men will become lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure. The allurements are there. The macho image is there. Look at me. I'm a stud. It's there. It's there for what? It's there for misery. We have to be serious about God. He said in Matthew 5, 29, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Jesus isn't advocating that we cut off our hands or blind ourselves. He's trying to tell us the seriousness of Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, that we not be led into temptation. He's trying to tell us to be serious. It could cost you. It could cost you. But when there's no fear of God and we choose not to follow God as a priority and we think we're smarter than the devil, he comes with a little package. He comes with a little package. He says, hey, take your ease, man. I'm your friend. Oh, really? I got you covered. This one's on me. Really. The only thing that's free, Law, my friends, is salvation. You're paying for everything else. You're paying for your air, you're paying for your water, you're paying for your funeral, you're paying for everything. Nothing's free but the salvation of the Lord. Let me close. What's the proof that we're choosing God to follow? It's found in Galatians 5 and 29. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. We must come to the place when we wear God's yoke, we must come to the place of peace that's beyond all understanding. It says that God will give us perfect peace for those whose mind is stayed upon thee. I heard a man talk about his prophecy the other day. Whether it's true or false, we won't know until it comes to pass or doesn't. It's a prophecy that George Washington had. It's a prophecy that David Wilkerson had where he saw cities thousands on fire in America. A possible civil war. A famine. If you look in Venezuela, they're putting numbers on their arms to line up in sequential order numerically to get something to eat. It's not the mark of the beast. It's a mark that can be washed off, but they're putting numbers on their arm. I'm in line. I'm number 1826. What's your number? 1851. Well, you're behind me. You can't get ahead of me. And people think that cannot happen. Let me tell you something that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. If we were living in 1929, when there was no debit cards to go to the store, where there wasn't welfare like it is today, that there's so many people in America without food and are homeless, that it would be considered a depression. But we don't see it. Because people go and bring their cards to the store. They're not lined up for blocks and miles. They're not lined up because we've made it dignified. We don't want to alarm society. We don't want to let people know that there's so much air in the bubble that it can burst. We be in a famine. My wife and I heard, whether it's true or not, there's basically only two companies now that are legit, that are making food that lasts 25 or 30 years. It's depleted. The government is storing food. It's known. What's it saying when your state puts out an emergency packet, what to do just in case. What's it saying? Someone is saying something is going to happen down the road. Something's coming. And we as Christians, we're living in luxury in America. We're bickering over our hamburgers. I have to wait 10 minutes? Are you serious? We have so many choices. That to go into a coffee shop, I would need a college degree in coffee to figure out what to buy. So I just say, 
and you sound like a weirdo. Coffee, three creams or four creams, and two sugars. They kind of look at you. You want something in it? No, no. Just give me, just give me coffee. Just regular coffee. That's it. And it's like, you don't want, no. Just want coffee. So many choices. But the church is at ease in Zion. We're not fighting missiles and rockets that are coming into Jerusalem. We're not fighting mines and bombs on buses. But you can see how it's percolating. Percolating. It keeps percolating. Because there's so much hatred and bitterness in our country against one man that's trying to do something right. Trying to make things the way it's supposed to be. Trying to put the yoke back on America that would make America rest and be at ease. While the opposition wants a yoke to put around our necks. To take what we've earned. To take what we've striven for. To take the hard years of labor and work. And distribute it a bunch of, bunch of among people. So they can go in Central Park and smoke dope for the day and explore the museums and get a guitar and learn how to pick. No. There's something wrong with that. God says this to us as I close. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. What are you guys talking about? I saw him go. <laughs> Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But then he stopped and he said these words, notwithstanding, beside all this, I know the devils are going to be subject to you. I gave you that anointing, I gave you that power, but notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice rather because your names are written in heaven. Praise God. That's what we need to rejoice about. Amen. That we have eternal life. Because we have chosen to follow him above everything else. Listen, I can't tell you what's coming upon the face of the earth. I can just tell you what I read in the Bible. I can tell you what I see in the Old Testament as a type and shadow to come. I can tell you what I see in the New Testament as the men of God wrote to Titus and to Tim Timothy about the last days. How Peter wrote about seducers, that they would say, where is the promise of his coming? I can tell you all that, and I can be accurate in telling you, but exactly what's going to happen to us individually, collectively, as a country, I don't know. But I do know this, that the nations that forget God are the nations that are judged. The nations that forget God are the nations that are judged. And you could do a history lesson. And look at some of the countries that exist now that once were Christian nations, believe it or not. The disciples were able to invade the then known world 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it was India with Thomas, whether it was the Middle East, Macedonia, and all those places, the gospel of Jesus Christ, without electronics, without internet, without phones, the then known world heard about Jesus. <laughs> those countries are no longer Christian countries. Europe is a place of darkness. England is a place of spiritual darkness. And if we're not careful in America and in our churches, our country will become a place of spiritual darkness. I fear God. I respect Him. I want to follow Him. My heart's cry, God, I want to please you. I want to love you. I want to take your hand as you take me from one place to the other in these last days. Keep me strong. Keep me courageous. And put the spirit of boldness upon me to speak the truth so that God can raise up a people, a remnant, an army that will follow him through his voice and through the preaching of the gospel. The Lord's coming I don't know when. I can just look at the seasons. I can look out the window and say it's going to rain because I see the clouds appearing. I look out the spiritual window and I say it's going to rain because I see the spiritual clouds appearing. It's not to put fear in us, but it's for us to follow him and take his yoke that we can have that intermission, that we can have that respite, that we can have that moment of recreation that God can minister to us and make us strong once again. And as he does that, speak the words of life that quicken us into our spirit to keep us above water and from temptation and from the evil of this world. God bless you and thank you for listening.